The power of one, unity. I, I like to paint a picture of our world that it's like Louis Armstrong saying, because it's a wonderful world, and, and it really is if you, if you trust in God. But we live in a nation, as we look around our nation and our culture, uh, uni- unity is almost non-existent. And it seems like the last two or three decades that it's, it's becoming less and less and less. I, I've never seen so many people argue about different things and, and on and on. We are polarized and we are divided. I, I don't think we can argue with that. Issues such as this, gun control, abortion, fracking, climate change, immigration, school vouchers, health care, the list of issues that Americans are at one another's throats about seems endless. Who can use which bathroom is now a federal case? It is us versus them politics, and it's always the same us, always the same them. It seems like there's always something that, to argue about. This clip a little bit kind of kind of helps us see the state of American culture. Let's watch. I don't think America's perfect. I don't think there's any nation that's perfect. The biggest problem in America is complacency. What makes America great is the people. It always has been. I expect our government to treat us better. There's nobody hated more in this nation than Christians. As a country, it's your job to make sure that each and every citizen, no matter color, race, religion, is able to do what they want. The fear of Islamophobia is incorrect. I see a country that seems like it's crumbling. People who are hungry and broke. The self-interest really has splintered the country. Do I think America is great? Absolutely. We definitely live in a divided nation. There's no doubt about it. So the question is, how do you and I live in this divided America and kind of what is our response? And what's always amazing to me that when crisis comes, it seems like Americans do step up to the plate. There's a lot of folks going down to Texas and Louisiana and people helping each other and trying to save lives and those kind of things. But here's the sadness of that. When everything gets somewhat back to normal, it always goes back to the way that it was. I think we have to face is that invisible walls divide people into the ins and outs and the have and have nots. And in our world, there's an endless assortment of groups, cliques, and castes determined by race, skin color, nationality, money, background, education, status, religion, sex, or ability. Individuals are judged and categorized and put in their place. And when those social barriers are crossed, usually it's at a great price. I've been aware of this for, for quite a few years, and uh, when we were in Freeport and um, Josh and Stacy were in high school, I, I, I really picked up on that, that end, and even in junior high, that when you walked into the junior high school in Freeport, there were, there were, there were cliques. There were a certain group of kids over here that had an extreme amount of money. You had the jocks and you had the hoods, call them what you will, those that stood outside across the street and smoked and on and on and on. So you had these groups then, but the problem is as, as we grow up, we, we grow up in, into groups, so to speak. And here's the amazing thing about Christ. We know that Christ is the answer for everything. It doesn't matter what it is in life, he has the answer. 
And Jesus broke the barriers that divide men and women from each other and from God. Christ broke those barriers. In a male-dominated society, he spoke freely with women, Matthew 9. In the face of holier-than-thou hypocrites, he partied with sinners, Matthew 9. Ignoring years of prejudice and discrimination, he associated with Samaritans, the scum of the earth at that time. They were people to be avoided, not to touch, to stay away from, almost like lepers, John 4. Gentiles, Luke 7, Gentiles were dogs to the Jews, not worthy to eat the crumbs off the table, if you remember the scripture. And he continually sought to bring outcasts and the powerless into his fold. The crippled and the lame, Luke 6, the desperately ill, Matthew 8. The blind, Luke 18, Mark 8. Children, Mark 10, he elevated children to a position in the kingdom. Swindlers and cheaters, Mark 11, and the poor, Mark 3 and Luke 21. Paul comes along and he champions that cause. The footsteps of Jesus, he became the apostle to the Gentiles. And like I said, Gentiles were, were off limits. When it talks about Jews and Greeks, the Greeks, that's, that's the Gentile world. They were, they were somewhere down here. They weren't on the same plane as Jewish people. They didn't have Jewish bloods. They were polluted. They were mongrels, if you will, to them. In fact, writing to the Galatians, Paul declared this. And, and what... What a statement. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I don't know if we can grasp the implications of that. that when we come into the kingdom, regardless of what area or what baggage that we bring, we lay that down and we're all on level footing and we're all the same. This is the, the one in the title of the message, the power of one, one body, the church. The power is brought about and sustained through unity in Christ, one Lord, one Savior, one baptism. I want you to understand that Christians do not have permission to discriminate against other believers. Even if we don't like them, even if we're, we're not on the same plane in our own minds with them, we don't have permission. The emphasis must always be not on unity for unity's sake, but on unity in Christ. Where Christ is not recognized as Lord, all unity will be superficial. If present at all but remarkable divergent people who recognize in Christ their common life will find deep unity and fellowship. I don't know about you. I love my family. I love my sisters. I love my brother-in-law. I, I, I love all my nieces and nephews. But once, when I came into the kingdom, I found another family that... that that sometimes goes deeper. You know, praise God, my family's in church. They know Jesus, but families that don't. And, and I've heard some of you say back to me, you know, it I, I seems like I'm closer to those folks in church than I am my own family. That's to be understandable because Christ has added that glue that is holding you together. It's something deeper than we humans can put our fingers on. Those who seek unity as their only goal will find their objective elusive. But those who seek others who also name Jesus as Lord will find themselves yoked with any number of unusual characters. I think that's an understatement. That when we come into the body of Christ, we've left all our social status, our cultural status, our racial thoughts, prejudice, bias, whatever. We left that out on the sidewalk. And when we come in here, we are the same. And that has ushered us into a world of unusual characters. Do you not agree 
That as you look around, especially this table here, that the world, the kingdom is filled with unusual characters. That, that just blows me away that that statement. Unity flows out of being in Christ and not the other way around. So it brings up this question, and it, it, there's things that, that we hate to admit, but I do believe that every one of us in here today that's living and breathing, somewhere, somewhere in this heart, somewhere inside of us, there is some kind of bias. We, and again, it, it behooves us to try to, to understand that or try to mention it. It could be culture, it could be background, it could be gender, it could be race. I, I, here's my observation after Diane and I moved to, to Sullivan in, in 1997. Now, those of you that was raised here probably didn't, they don't, you, you don't have a clue that this exists. There's a caste system. And it, and it comes from a different other place than, than maybe you think. Do you realize how many term, times I heard this phrase when we were here trying to, to get this church started? You're not from around here, are you? Nope. Horror stories, call it what you will. People get jobs because they're from around here, and they don't because they ain't. It is what it is, but it, it, it's here. You can't, you can't ignore that. So as we, we look at this scripture, as, as God has brought us all together to, to unify us, I think there's maybe some issues that, that maybe is a, a little sticky sometimes, and I think this is one of them. I, I, don't, I don't know if any of us are completely bias-free, but we should be in Christ. This clip kind of shows us what the body of Christ is. It's pretty much a picture, but you'll, you'll get the drift. Let's watch. Sometimes I think, what will people say of things?
a pretty good definition of the church. Broken people coming together to make something beautiful, which is the body and the blood of Christ. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. The first, first part of this verse, discrimination and barriers are totally eliminated. In the second part, unity is established. If all believers have put on Christ, if all believers have professed faith and joined the body of Christ, then this unity sets aside all other superficial distinctions. All other superficial distinctions. Everyone. Social, cultural, it doesn't matter. They're set aside because we are one in Christ. While it is true that in the body of Christ, Jews and Greeks, meaning Gentiles, slaves and free people, men and women, we have individual identities. Paul exalts their unity in Christ Jesus. All labels become secondary. Some Jewish males would greet each new day by praying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. The prejudice toward all three categories was real and strong, as discussed throughout this entire letter to the Galatians. And Paul was trying to say the Jew or the Gentile that believed in Christ is no different. Unity in Christ transcends racial distinctions. Next is the barrier of social status. Slaves and free people were on the same plane. They were to treat each other equal. To take it even further, when it comes to faith and God's promises, really is no gender distinction at all as well. And this is what is unusual about Paul speaking this into this culture, because women were pretty much uh, property, actually. The ancient jo Jewish historian Josephus pointed out that woman is inferior to man in every way. This was the culture that Jesus came into. This was the attitude Christianity liberated women as God create creations with worth and abilities that be, could be used for God's kingdom. It's always been my premise that why, if God, as he did, gifted women with gifts and abilities, why shouldn't they be able to use them in the kingdom? Jesus, and, and a lot of times just to announce these barriers don't make it so. It has to be acted and lived out in our lives. Paul's implying that our equal standing in Christ gives us equal access. The barriers broken down in this verse may not seem radical in our day, but, but they were huge in that day. It became attractive to some people, especially, can you imagine, if you were a female, was in this male-dominated society, and, and here was a chance that you could come in to a body or a group and be equal. That's, that's, that's the big deal, the, the equality in Christ. Or a slave, actually, that, you, that you'd have some worth. There are, sad to say, in this world today, in human trafficking, there are more slaves than there were in the days when we actually had them in America, which is astounding to me. It is a blight upon America, but nonetheless, it is what it is. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, Paul further explains this. For Christ himself has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. We, it's not broken down in a lot of places, is it? it but, but he's talking about within the body of Christ that the wall of hostility should be broken down. 
When, when I think about this, I, I think about the Jews and the Arabs and, and how they uh, continue to kill each other and hate each other and on and on and on. And Paul come, or Jesus came to, to break that wall down. By his death, he ended the whole system of Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. His purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new person from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. And perhaps the greatest example of this is in the book of Philemon. I want you to read this book this week. If you, it's only 25 verses, and we're going to be talking about it next week as well. It, it is a personal letter of reconciliation that can break down any bond, any barrier. Philemon was a leader in the church at Colossae. The church met in his house, verse 2 says. So evidently, Philemon was uh, an extremely wealthy landowner who had been converted under Paul's ministry. He had come to Christ. Slave owners had absolute power over their slaves. Whether Philemon was a kind owner, Onesimus, his property had run away, and he could be beaten, jailed, or even killed for his offense according to Roman law. People became slaves by being born to a woman who was a slave as punishment for a crime, by being kidnapped from another land, and by being conquered by another nation. Slave dealers would buy captured prisoners and send them to the slave markets to be sold for a profit. Sometimes, however, parents would sell their children into slavery, and some would voluntarily become slaves in order to pay a debt. So people in this time understood slavery. It's hard for us to grasp, but 80 to 90 percent of all Italy was slaves in this day. And, and, and so when Paul talked about this, you can imagine the enormity of the power of the force of these words that slaves were the same as everybody else, that somebody had attributed them worth, that they were worth something. They were more valuable to God than they were just to their slave owner, but, but they, had, they had eternal worth, that God could love them and, and put them in the same place. It, it's hard to grasp that what, what the, the implications are of this is what Paul is, is trying to, slay, to say. Slave owners treated their slaves like they wanted. It depended on the temperament of the owner and the per performance of the slave. They could inflict cruel, cruel punishment. They could torture them. They could beat them. If they ran away, they took a brand and branded over their forehead that they were runaway slaves, so they had that mark the rest of their life. Whether they were or not, it was still there. The only thing they really couldn't do, it was illegal to kill a slave without a court order in Roman court. So Philemon had the power. Onesimus was powerless. So in this short, short letter, Paul is sending this letter and trying to uh, get his brother to understand the whole implications of what Onesimus was and how, really how, how he should be treated, actually. When you think about your own life, is there anybody in your life, maybe, or in this body that you need to be reconciled to? You know, it's a funny thing. We humans, we hold grudges and get mad at people. We might hold it for years. And here's the bizarre thing about that. That person that we've got this dealing with, they never know it. You might treat them a little funny. You might not wave at them. You might not speak to them. Grudges are funny things. They are like cancer. 
that if they're not dealt with, they continue to eat away and eat away and eat away. I've known people that's held grudges for years for something that somebody in their family did to their family, and they just can't, they just can't get beyond it. Well, I think that happens in the body of Christ. You ever know believers that won't speak to other believers? Maybe not. I've encountered that. So the message of Philemon is a threefold message of forgiveness, barriers, and respect. Forgiveness, verses 17 through 21. Philemon was Paul's friend, but he was the legal owner of Onesimus. He could have punished him severely as a runaway and as a thief. Paul asked his dear friend not only to withhold punishment, to forgive Onesimus and welcome him to his home just like he was welcoming Paul. I don't know if there, I can't think of an analogy today that would even come close to that. Unless you have a group that you've stereotyped, regardless of what the issue is, and they come to your door and someone from that group, and you invite them in, have supper with you, sit at the same table, eat your same food. I think. I don't know, like I said, in our minds in this culture, in this day and age, if we can grasp that. Importance for today, many factors divide people, including disagreements, politics, arguments, and personal offense. Yet Christians are to be unified, demonstrating the love of Christ by their love for each other. John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you are my children by the way you love each other. That was the calling card. It wasn't by the way that we do this or we do that, but at the, at the core, at the bottom, it was the way that, that we love each other. Who has wronged you in your life that you can't let it go? Can't even look at them. It's too painful. So instead of dealing with it, you just, you just let it go and let it go and let it go, and it continues to, to manifest itself in your life. And like I said, like a cancer, it continues to gnaw away, gnaw away, and gnaw away. And every time you see that person, they might be here. They might be in here. You just, it, it just starts spinning again. What you need to do is forgive, and I know it's difficult. We need to build bridges and not walls. Barriers, verses 10 through 16, is the second message of this book. Slavery was widespread in the Roman Empire, but no one is lost to God or beyond his love, not even the poorest slave. Have you ever, have you ever looked at people, maybe a group or whatever, and say, they cannot be reached. They have no hope. Well, I don't believe that. I think as long as we humans have breath in our bodies and we're breathing in and breathing out, that there's a chance that Christ can help us or he can save us. As Brother Kerry did a great job last week of bringing that out, that, that that's, there's, there's nothing beyond him. And I know that we have said or thought I could never do that, but I don't think we can say that in Christ. Importance for today, in Christ we are one family, no walls of racial, economic, or political, or social differences should separate us. We should all be one. We ask ourselves, how can we reach out to those in different cultures and social standing? 
Are there people that you don't think you could ever hang out with, I guess, is what I'm saying. And there are third part of the message of Philemon is respect. I, I, I talk to people and I, I think about how I view things in, in this world and I often say that I'm starting to sound like my father. I am my father's son to that degree, but respect is continuing to be lost in this country. And it, maybe it's just me. Respect for officials, for law enforcement, for people in authority. It seems to be going out the window, actually. And I, you know, it's like a sieve. You, you want to stick a plug in it and stop it or whatever. But as anything else, it, it starts at home. I pray, parents, that you're teaching your children to respect people. It's a big deal. Paul was a friend of both Philemon and Onesimus. He had the authority as apostle to tell Philemon what to do in verse 8. He had the right to go into Philemon's house, set him down in a chair and get his finger in his face. And I said, listen, you're a buster. You need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do it now. But he chose to appeal to his friend in Christian love rather than order him to do what to do. Paul made his desires known, but he treated Philemon's respect as a peer and a fellow believer. The importance of that for us today, tactful, tactful persuasion will accomplish much more than strong commands when dealing with people. No one appreciates being bossed around or ordered what to do. The power of one, unity, one meaning, all believers are one in Christ, which makes us all worthy of being God's children. We're on the same plane. Whether you're black, white, yellow, brown, purple, male or female, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Christian church or Lutheran or Free Methodist or Nazarene or any of the 1,500 denominations in North America. We are all the same in Christ. Galatians 3, again, 28 and 29 from the message. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew. Slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant heirs according to the covenant promises. And Paul adds in Philippians 2, 2 and 5, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be like-minded, have the same love, be of one mind, the mindset of Christ, be one in Christ, be in total unity. Paul told the Romans in 12.5, so it is with Christ's body, we are all parts of his one body, and if each of us has different work to do, and since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. You can sense the oneness in that. So we are all parts of his body. The results of being one, we belong to each other. And whether we actually realize it or not, we really need each other. We are one. We, we are crossroads, and that's who God's called us to be. How do you see it when you view our church? You feel like an outsider here? I hope not. Of all the things that I have strove to do as a pastor and as your friend, it was, it was to make you feel welcome that regardless of your background or where you've came from, 
or the issues in life that you struggle with that you could come in here and be loved. That's, that's paramount above everything else. And can you say with all honesty this morning that you, you see Crossroads as one body in unity for the cause and the sake of Christ and his glorious kingdom? I hope you feel like that you belong to each other, that you are the same, that you need each other. As always, we, we always ask you to just be honest with God. You don't have to be honest with me. That's, that's irrelevant, actually. What's most important is between your heart and God's heart. So this morning, as, as we go into this, this, this last part of the message, I just want you to be honest. And the Holy Spirit, he shines that, that extremely bright light in all the dark recesses of our heart. And we can set and we can greet each other and we can love each other, but we, really we don't know what's going on in each other's heart, do we? We can fool people. We could be the most miserable human being on earth and come in here and I could smile at you guys and you say, man, Eddie's a good guy. But, but you have to put that aside now because it's just, it's just between you and God. So I want you to bow your head and clear your minds and I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. And as we pause now, I, I want you, I like word pictures. I want you to picture this in your mind. That right now inside your heart, the Holy Spirit of God is shining that light, and he's looking around. What's he uncovering as he searches through it? First of all, is it a believing heart? Does the Holy Spirit find Jesus there? If not, he, he will tell you. You need to accept him today. But does the Holy Spirit find perhaps unconfessed sin? You need to confess it now and get rid of it. Or perhaps over in one corner is a box, box marked bias or prejudice or hatred. If so, you ask for forgiveness and needs to be tossed out. Or perhaps the Holy Spirit, as he moves that beam around, that he sees some unwrapped gifts. They're marked spiritual gifts, and you've never unwrapped them. You've come to Christ, but you've never sought them out. You've, you've never looked. You've never explored. If that be the case, you, you need to tell God you're sorry for not discovering and using this supernatural gift for him and his body, the church. So just, just be honest with God now because he's always honest with us. Lord, I don't have to stand up here and say a lot of words. We, we understand what you're doing. And I know, Holy Spirit, that as you search our hearts, that when you uncover something, that you're always gentle. You don't cause us to fall to our knees in a spasm of pain or put us on our back or on our face, but you do it in such a gentle, loving way that we know it's from you and you know it's your touch. And all you desire for us, Lord, is to be honest to confess that thing and just say, I'm sorry. It comes out of a contrite heart. You want to change us, Lord. You want to make us more and more like you. And you want your body to become closer and closer. We don't know what the future holds. But the direction we're going, I, I sense in a great way that we as the church is going to need each other more and more 
and more in so many different ways. I wonder, Lord, if you're getting us prepared for something that's coming. So right now, Lord, I just pray this morning as we pause in this place that as your children, that we're honest with you and we deal with the issues that need to be dealt with before we leave this building. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.